Welcome to Life-Giving Water Messages, where I expound upon the Word of God and, through the internet, deliver it to you. My name is Reverend Todd Laddick, and today I am bringing you part five of a nine-part Lenten series entitled Drink from the Fountain of Grace, with today's message specifically entitled The Cup of Discipleship, based off of Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. So let us dive into the Word today. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? he asked. She replied, In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, You don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh yes, they replied, we're able. Jesus told them, You will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. Being followers of Jesus involves giving our whole selves to build a community of mutual blessing. I'll say that again. Being followers of Jesus involves giving our whole selves to build a community of mutual blessing. I will never forget my beginning years after coming back to Christ. I remember seeing Passion of the Christ and remember uh, that driving me to do some pretty strange things, including having the weird design desire at the time to create my own New Testament program. I was a software engineer at that point in time in my life, and I wanted to create my own New Testament program, typing the King James Version by hand because it is in the public domain and I didn't have to get any copyright, you know, uh, uh, permission or anything like that. So at the time, I was doing it because... I knew I could build a better Bible graphic user interface than others I, I had seen or used, or at least that's what I said. But the truth is, in order to type, you have to read. And so as I was typing this New Testament out in the King James Version, I was learning and reading at the same time, and I found that I was hungry for the gospel. I remember visiting a church in the area I was living and being asked immediately what my position was on homosexuality. I never went back to that church. But it didn't stop me from seeking Christ out in another church. I remember visiting my mom's church, Grace United Methodist Church in Dover, and the message that day was called Coming Home on the Prodigal Son. I remember all of those things and more. But what I remember most 
was the time I was sponsored by John Peer, a member of Vernon United Methodist Church who has since died, to go to a retreat called A Walk to Emmaus. I remember being served and loved on by total strangers. And I remember, you know, John and, and the church as a whole, just when my family and I showed up there, they just took us in and embraced us and treated us like one of their own, like we'd been their own from the beginning. I mean, it was just this family feeling to the church. And I, and and so the, the first amount of love was that, that I felt by them. But then I remember showing up at, at this retreat and just being served and loved on by total strangers. And the overwhelming feeling of inclusion that is built into that specific retreat. I mean, these people waited on me and the others uh, hand and foot. They had no clue who I was. They had been praying for me. They had been feeding me, taking care of my basic needs so that all I had to focus on was Jesus. They served me, put, putting me and the other uh, pilgrims first before themselves, humbly putting themselves last. And every retreat's like that. When you think about it, you go on a retreat, there are people behind the scenes doing stuff for you. In many cultures, a uh, great emphasis is placed on being the first, the greatest, or the best, whether that's in terms of wealth or reputation, status, talent. Yet Jesus emphasizes the importance of serving others and humility and essentially proclaims a reversal of this cultural message. For example, just several short verses before our passage, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. I'll say that again. This is from Jesus. So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. It can be difficult to listen and stay focused to Jesus on Jesus' message when the voices of the world and our culture so loudly tell us the opposite. In this passage, we see the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, make a plea on behalf of her children that reveals her concern for their well-being and destiny. She wants to make sure they are successful and powerful in the, way, in, in the way their culture and also ours define success and power. So on her knees, she asks Jesus to declare that they will sit at the right and left hand in Jesus' kingdom, that they will be second in power and glory to Jesus. I often have a vision of the two brothers, uh, if Jesus had approved this, I have a vision of the two brothers duking it out as to who gets to sit on the right. Jesus responds with a statement and a question in verse 22 that show the kind of glory Jesus and therefore his followers will have is not the same as the kind of glory the world values. Jesus Jesus, again, he, he responds with a statement and a question, and again, that's pointing us to the fact that the kind of glory we seek in this world is not the kind of glory that Jesus has. 
or his followers. And I want to remind you of how last week's sermon, uh, we talked about a person's cup being their lot in life. In verse 22, Jesus' cup will involve tremendous suffering as well as glory. We also see this in Matthew 26, verse 39, where the Bible tells us that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. The word disciple, or mathetes, mathetes, uh, means both to be a student of someone and to be an adherent or follower of someone. And again, mathetes is how you pronounce it in Greek, and it involves both learning and re- relationship. To be a disciple of Jesus, therefore, means to share in the love and salvation of God and in Jesus' suffering and humility, which is servant leadership. The two go hand in hand. You can't, you can't uh, have the glory of God and not share in Jesus' suffering and humility, in Jesus' servant leadership. Suffering doesn't necessarily mean, you know, like getting crucified. But what it means is that you're going to put others first. You're going to sacrifice so that others have. And that is a form of suffering, a positive form of suffering, and, and, and a form of humility. Those two go hand in hand. In verse 22, Jesus is warning James and John that they may not realize what they are asking for. In fact, he's banking they don't realize it. Signing up to be a disciple means opening oneself up to the same kind of persecution and suffering that Jesus himself will experience. So guess what? If Jesus is going to be crucified and you're his disciple, that puts you as a target number two, right? Like you're now one of his, his uh, associates. You're one of his uh, uh, followers. You're one of the rabble-rousers. So, you know naturally if you follow jesus you're gonna you're gonna receive the same kind of treatment jesus received you're gonna do the same kind of things jesus did you're going to stand up for the same kind of things jesus stood up for and uh to you know um to further explore the meaning of costly discipleship i would actually highly recommend uh dietrich bonhoeffer's uh, discipleship often refer often referred to as the cost of discipleship, and in fact, if you Google the cost of discipleship, that'll get that will get to you get you to it uh, quickly. But uh, in it, Bonhoeffer, uh, who stood up against the Nazis and knew full well the cost of of discipleship, he was hung by Nazis in the concentration camp uh, he was being held at for his part in an assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler. And though Bonhoeffer himself was a lifelong pacifist, he hated war, detested it. Discipleship led him to the very last place he ever saw himself being, a part of an assassination plot in order to hopefully end what the Nazis were doing. That's the cost of discipleship. Even though Jesus uh, says James and John will drink his cup, 
He does not promise they will be at his right and left hand, but defers to God the Father. The rest of the disciples are are angry with James and John, likely for trying to put themselves above everybody else. And what makes them any better than Peter or Andrew or Thomas or even Judas at that point? They didn't know anybody. What makes them better than anybody else? Jesus' teaching that follows challenges the world's understanding of leadership, power, and greatness. If the disciples want to follow Jesus, they must lead by serving others just as Jesus does. One way to look at this is that being first, greatest, best, sitting at Jesus' right hand, is not the goal of discipleship at all. That's just seeking glory for one's own self. Rather, just as the Trinity is interdependent and mutual, we too are created as relational beings. Out of our interdependence, we are called to care for one another and serve one another, not as if we are better than others, but in awareness that we need each other and belong to each other. That's the love of the Spirit connecting us, empowering us to serve each other. Is that going to cost us some to do that? Yeah, it's going to cost us time. It's going to cost our talents. It's going to cost our presence. It's going to cost our our gifts. It's going to cost our witness. It may cost us our reputation if we hang out in circles that aren't godly circles. But let's let's reframe the idea of giving something up for Lent. I want to challenge you to consider how Jesus might be calling his disciples, including you, to set aside comfort for others' sake. Or let me just ask you what else your discipleship requires you to give up in order to serve the community as as a whole. It could be time, it could be money, it could be presence, the feeling of awkwardness as you share a biblical truth with someone. Sometimes giving up something for Lent can be an empty exercise, or it can be a way to show how good and devout one is, like like putting on a show. What would it look like to give up the desire to be perceived as good, and then find a way to serve someone else? Give up the show, and actually do something of significance. When we take communion, Holy Communion, We are invited to share in Christ's cup and to be sent out into the world as Christ's one body. That's what our liturgy literally says. Make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Community changes us, and by our participation, we change our community. Being servants in the community means that we run out to meet people where they are at in the community. It means we will sacrifice comfort and even status to share what God is doing in our lives and in our community. And we sometimes struggle with wanting the security of a full church with full plates. We want the greatness of being that church that everyone attends where the pews are full and we're floating on easy street. But Christ calls us to continue in our current struggle. Amen? To be faithful and to continue to trust that he has everything under control. Amen? I mean, do we trust that? 
Do we believe that in Jesus all things are possible and that the very few we see in our churches and around us, given the power of the Holy Spirit sent to us by Jesus, that those very few people can shake the very foundation of our communities that we're living in and the surrounding communities, that we can shake the very foundation of those communities, that through us for the unforeseeable future, people will be fed, sheltered, visited, uplifted, loved, and included in this community we call the church. Together with Christ, nothing can nor will stop us. Let's follow Christ and follow Christ alone. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Gracious and loving God, we just thank you and praise you for this opportunity to, to be challenged and, and encouraged uh, to, be, to be more disciples, to be more disciple-like in our approach to our relationship with you and to, to really be serving as your disciples, as the ones who carry on your mission in your name. Empower us with your Holy Spirit and send us forth from wherever we are into the world, unafraid, so that we may serve Christ and serve Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, uh, thank you again for tuning in. It's always great to bring these messages to you. Uh, I did realize that part three of this uh, of this uh, series, uh, only five minutes, uh, got, got uploaded, and I'm not sure what happened there, but... Uh, I was able to get the whole episode up and running, so if you weren't able to listen to that and you want to go back, that, that the order of this doesn't really matter, so you can go back and listen to that and you'll, you'll be caught up. Uh, but in all things, uh, remember, you are richly blessed so that you may be a blessing to others. Go in peace.